So I wanted to talk today about the idea of progress in our practice. And we certainly live in a progress-oriented world. Um, the West loves progress, you know. Um, we like to think in terms of things getting better, and we're kind of upset when it seems like they're getting worse. This is a, an orientation that we bring. It may be interesting to note um, that many other cultures do not use progress as the lens for history. That's actually a relatively recent occurrence. It's occurred in the last few centuries here in the West. A more popular view of history that you'll find if you look across multiple cultures is the idea of, of a cyclic process. Um, this is an interesting uh, quote that I found in a book by a young Indian fellow, South Asian, um, called An End to Suffering. It's his discovery of Buddhism. Um, he writes, the Western idea of history can be so seductive with its promise of adding an extra emotional and spiritual dimension and validation of our limited life with its ability to brighten the future and the past. I thought that I needed only the right historical information to see both forwards and backwards in time. So he had this idea of seeing a progression. And he says, but there are places on which history has worked for too long and neither the future nor the past can be seen clearly in their ruins or emptiness. It's not really meant to be a depressing quote, although I think we will hear it that way in the West. But he had been exploring the ancient um, Buddhist sites, you know, the place where the Buddha was awakened, the place where he gave the first talk, the place where he was born or died. Um, and there's kind of a lot more history <laughs> in that part of the world than we have. We have evidence of here in California. So he was um, surprised and amazed to discover that when he started reading about Western culture and educating himself that way, that there was this idea of a linear forward movement, uh, and that was our aim. <laughs> so I find this, this interesting and kind of delightful in a sense, um, because you know there might be such places in your mind and your heart where um, it feels like it's not really possible to reconcile it all into a neat story of progress. I don't know. <laughs> really? <laughs> so, um, and yet, you know, here we are. The Buddha teaches us that liberation is possible. And so we, we're told that we can go from a mind that is confused and agitated to a mind that's peaceful and clear and compassionate. And, and wouldn't we all like that? So... How do we think about this? Um, and in fact, that idea arose out of a culture that never had a view of progress. India has a cyclic view of history. So uh, what does it mean that we have progress in our practice? And how would we know? And how should we evaluate that? These are not trivial questions if you've given a fair amount of your time to sitting on a cushion and meditating because it has some inspiration for you. So the Dalai Lama um, suggests that we should evaluate our practice about every 10 years. He thinks that's a reasonable marking point. I've heard other teachers say different time frames, but I've never heard shorter than five years, just so you know. Um, um, and I don't think we can really evaluate in exact 
measures like you would get at your annual review at work. Um, I think also rarely do our stated goals about practice come about exactly as we plan them. I think they come about, but in my experience, the things that I've intended for or wished for or prayed for in some sense, mostly I forgot about that eventually, and then I looked back at some point and said, oh my gosh, it did come about, but not how I was thinking at the time. Anyone sound familiar? I see a couple of nods to that. Yeah, and yet something happens. You know, something is happening. You're not the same as you were when you started meditating, even if you started meditating 45 minutes ago. Um, (laughs) So, you know, something does happen. And so, you know, I'm not going to try to wrap this all up neatly, but, you know, there are ways that we can consider how we're moving forward see actual opening of the heart, see the gaining of wisdom, um, without needing to put ourselves on a linear storyline, which is confining in certain ways. So I'd like to offer some dimensions of practice that do tend to show progress. I mean, after all, we are supposed to be moving toward less and less suffering in our life and our practice. Um, So that also means that there should be more and more of what is not suffering, right? So, um, Shenzhen Young defines what he calls five dimensions of happiness. And they are also clues that our practice is progressing. So these are areas where we might see something after, you know, five to ten years. Number one is uh, reducing suffering. So that's fairly straightforward. And I think it means, initially, at least a fairly obvious form of suffering. You know, are we really just less anxious or less angry or less um, sad or less depressed, something. Over five to ten years, we'll probably see something along that dimension, um, some qualitative change there. Uh, The second is just the flip side, elevating fulfillment. This practice is meant to bring some wholeness and some integration to our being. And so there's a hope that after five to ten years or longer, um, we feel a greater sense of knowing what it is that we're doing and being able to manifest some of our values in the world, Um, feeling more fulfillment from that then, because that's what fulfills a human, is to feel like there's a sense that we're doing what is externally with what is aligned internally. And so some sense that there's an elevation of the fulfillment of our life. We've found what matters to us in a way, more of that than we did before. And I see some nods. I think everyone can relate to these first two dimensions. Actually, you can relate to all of them. So the third one is understanding yourself at all levels. This is a path of knowledge that we're offered. And the knowledge is about this, (laughs) this mind and body, and its manifestation in in whatever the world is. So I think there's a lot of, I think the understanding yourself at all levels has, you know, really quite a lot of depth to it. So we start by understanding ourselves in the sense of who does it feel like I am? What are my values? Am I working in a profession that makes sense, that that is helping the world, or am I hanging out with people that are 
um, supportive of how I want to live. You know, these very external kinds of things. We, if we don't understand anything about ourselves, we're not going to be doing those things. And a lot of people come to practice because they've just absorbed what everyone else said they were. And they never thought about who they really are in their own perception. So there's that. But we're asked to, uh, to go much deeper through meditation. I mean, you can do that through many means. But what does meditation really do? So we start to see what the self is. You know, how is it constructed? What is it built up out of? Why do I think there's a feeling of me? What is that? Is it my body? Is it my emotions? Are those me? And so we're, we're asked to really understand at a deep level, what is that or not? What is it not? <laughs> and how is it formed? And how does it help us? And how does it not help us to have an idea that our self is a certain way? Understand yourself at all levels all the way down to something very profound. And don't worry, you're not going to stop the ability to live in the world. <laughs> the investigation into self frees us, not, uh, not confuses us. So understanding yourself at all levels. After five to ten years, each mark of that, probably you'll have a better sense. And you're not done after the first one. <laughs> Keeps going. Number four positive behavior change. That one's, I think, clear enough, but again, it has many dimensions to it. So maybe we start by stopping some of those behaviors that are truly counterproductive for us and for others. And we, we all know what those were when we started practice. And we've maybe done a little work on those. And then more and more, you know, our standard starts to become more internal. It's less about things that are obviously you know, not helping us in the world. And then there becomes also the internal dimension. Am I walking into this situation with an attitude that's helpful? Um, and then seeing how the behavior change comes from a better attitude. So positive behavior change also means that we have to actually do what we're doing on the cushion. It's not quite enough that we sit here with our eyes closed and feel peaceful did we actually then get up off the cushion and do something different? That's why this is number four in the list. <laughs> um, this works at a top level, and then at some point there might be, you know, we might really confront, oh, I need to do something big. I need to move, or I need to change professions, or I need to get a different relationship. Um, so I think we're really asked to look at a deep level, what in my life is supportive and what isn't, and how am I brave enough to manifest that, or am I going to get to the end and kind of wish, I wonder if I should have lived the life I wanted to. And number five, manifesting a spirit of love and service. So yes, we change for the better, and at some point, it's not as much about us. There's all this stuff about understanding ourselves, behaving well, um, reducing our suffering, elevating our fulfillment. Number five is not so much about us. Uh, can we open to where we are in the larger spectrum of humanity? And I think we need to do all those first four before we can really manifest love and service in a way that's helpful. We may want to. We may be rushing out there and trying to, trying to help. 
And sometimes we discover that we were helping in ways that were a little tangled still. So we do all these five at, at the same time, of course. But as we work on those first four, number five becomes clearer and clearer. Our ability to open to all situations and all beings, even those who seem very different from us, and our ability to serve, which means to offer genuine help to the world, genuine support for others to be doing all of these five steps also. Our happiness is not only for us, it's bound up with everyone else's. And each of these can be recognized as they develop over time, and they all rely on the cultivation of internal qualities, even though it leads towards something external. I think we're not going to reach our full potential externally without the internal dimension. It's just not going to happen. Um, and so I'm always very gratified to look out at a room and see people who are doing that part so that when you walk out the door, there's more of, of these other things. But I've talked a lot in terms of progress, so maybe that all sounded very gratifying to our Western mind. It might be helpful to know also that practice doesn't necessarily improve your life in a conventional materialistic sense, external sense. Yes, we get happier and happier, and yes, we're able to serve more and more. And there's a way in which um, the, the other measures that our society gives us, like money, status, power, recognition, um, I don't think practice necessarily brings those things. So be careful what it is that you're looking for, and really maybe stick with these five, reducing suffering, elevating fulfillment, understanding yourself, positive behavior change, and manifesting love and service. Those all happen without money, fame, or power. Or they can. It might come, or it might not. So if you're caught up in a standard Western idea of progress, um, I would suggest relaxing that. It may even hinder your practice. So just sit and let your heart fall open and see what that brings after, say, five or ten years. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you.